You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. So I'm so glad to be here. We've been here for the last couple of days doing the whole DC thing, and that's been awesome and so fun. But really more so, I want you to know how thankful I am to be here because I've been friends with Ben and Donna. When it was just Ben, I knew Ben. When it was just Donna, I knew Donna. And then now them together and my wife and I and our family, we were actually, I think, at the second gathering in the history of Passion City, DC here at the Howard Theater. And so we have been a part of your church. We have been just praying for you and excited over all these years. Our church in Houston was one of the first churches that gave financially to help launch this whole ministry here in D.C., which is awesome. So it's great. I'm not trying to pay for your applause, but I just wanted to let you know, because I want you to know that we are more a family than guest speaker. I want you to understand that. I've known Louis since I was 16. He did our student camps way back then and known Ben since he was a college student and Donna and their family and the staff and all the volunteers have just been absolutely amazing. So you have something to be so proud of here. You are part of something really, really special. Ben is one of the greatest communicators really of this day and in this time and God's using him in great ways. Yeah, you should be very grateful uh, for what you get to sit under each week. And so I'm so glad because I'm your friend coming. I'm Ben's friend coming. And today I wanna talk about friendship is what we're gonna talk about. And so in thinking about that, I was thinking about Donna and Ben and I's friendship with Kelly. So I bought a, a picture, brought a picture from Houston of us getting some Tex-Mex together just a few months ago in Texas, getting that in Houston and all of us in the car together, my wife Kelly back there. And so just coming as friends to talk about friendship. It's important that we have good friends and we are good friends. Now those go hand in hand. You can't just say, well, I just wanna have good friends without being a good friend. And all of us at some point in our lives have made bad decisions because of our friends and we made good decisions because of our friends. So in this series of kings and kingdoms, as you've been learning about the life of David and the kingdom of David, I want you to turn in your Bible to learn about David and Jonathan, this friendship between David and Jonathan. If you got a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 18, as we talk about friendships. Why would we talk about friendships? We talk about friendships because since 1985, the number of Americans that say they have no close friends has tripled since 1985. We all have felt loneliness at times. I've got to throw in, just because I'm in D.C. to feel good about myself, a couple presidential quotes, right, along the way. You're tired of them, but it makes me feel better to be able to have them. Harry Truman said this, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog, okay? (laughs) If you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. It's tough to make friends in all places, but in this city in particular. Now, maybe you packed your car and you came with great dreams and you showed up in Washington ready to change the world through changing whatever you're gonna change. And all of a sudden you went, I don't have a friend like I used to have back home. Maybe you were born in Maryland. Maybe you were born in Virginia. Maybe you were born in the district. Whatever it is, all of those things. You're a local. You're here through and through. And you also have felt that sting of loneliness 
Well, let's learn today the four attributes. We could say 104, but we're just gonna take four. Four attributes of God honoring friendships. How are we finding friends? How are we being friends? And we're gonna look at it through the life of David and Jonathan and their friendship. I'm gonna give you a few different places in the scripture, but we're gonna start in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse one. Here we go. When David was finished speaking, now this was right after chapter 17 was David and Goliath, so you know that story. When David was finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. I loved him as much as he, he loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house, verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So in this place where we have so much loneliness, we have so much just separation, so much division, what can we learn about friendships from David and Jonathan? The first thing that we can learn is this, sacrifice. That's the first word I want you to write down in your notes if you're taking notes, sacrifice. Now, here's what I want you to do. Say that word with me on the count of three, loud and proud. Here we go. One, two, three, sacrifice. One more time, sacrifice. Awesome. That's the first place that friendships really begin. Now, we see this in our relationships with one another. Do you know we have what's called, I call it the dialogue of the deaf. What does that mean? While you're telling your story, I'm thinking about my story I wanna tell. And then as I'm telling my story, you're thinking about what you wanna say. And we have the dialogue of the deaf that here we are not listening to one another. Great sacrifice comes, and this is from an extrovert. This is from a talker. This is from a professional talker, okay, as a pastor. I speak in 30-minute increments is what I do. So here we have the dialogue of the deaf. It goes back and forth where I'm thinking about what I'm gonna say while you're thinking about what you're gonna say and nobody's listening to each other. Here's what sacrifice means. Tell me more about that. Then what happened? How did that make you feel? What's going on in your heart when that happened? Were you sure that that was gonna take place like that? What did you expect to happen? And we actually ask questions to begin to mine out something deeper in the heart of our friend. And now we become this listener. And as they're listening, as we're listening to them, they become more and more thankful for the friendship that we have because there's sacrifice that takes place. When you get married, there's great sacrifice that takes place in marriage, where you put your wife in front of you, where you put your husband in front of you. Then you have children and there's sacrifice that takes place because you wanna put their needs, Philippians says, putting others' needs before your own needs. And so now there's sacrifice that takes place. It says here in the scripture that David and Jonathan made a covenant. Now, covenant is more than a contract. Covenant is more than a like button. Covenant is more than a direct message. Covenant is a deep, heartfelt relationship. It's a mutual agreement or a pledge to care for the needs and attend to the interest of the other person. To attend to the needs, to care for the interests, interests of the other person. So what do we make in marriage? It's not a contract, it's a covenant. In the Old Testament, we have an old covenant. In the New Testament, we have a new covenant. It's a relationship with God that's different than just a, hey, I like you on Sundays. It's Jesus Christ died and paid the price for me so that I give my heart and I die to myself for him. And I say, Lord, your life 
is going to be lived through me. My life is not my own. It belongs to you. That's a covenant relationship that's deeper than a just tip the hat to the Lord. So we walk in a covenant place. Now, David and Jonathan, there's something really great about this sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? It's found in verse four. You might've missed it. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Saul is the king. Jonathan is his son. Jonathan's in the military and he's leading the troops at this time. What does this mean? When he gives his robe, he gives his military tunic, he gives his bow, he gives his sword, he gives his belt. What does that mean? Jonathan is basically giving over the kingship to David. That's how big this is. This would be like a four-star general saying, private, come over here. I wanna give you my stars and bars. You're gonna have this. You're gonna be the king. Saul should go to Jonathan, but Jonathan says, I'm gonna give it to David. Huge, huge sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. Think about Esther chapter six, verse eight. Do you know the story of Esther? Haman's a bad guy. That's why you don't know anybody named Haman, right? You never went to school with anybody named Haman because he's a bad guy. Haman gets honor or he thinks it's an honor for him. It's actually for this other guy, Mordecai. But Haman, they said, Haman, what should we do to honor somebody who honored the king? He said, oh, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth, you should give him a robe that the king has worn. Same thing that's happened here. What has Jesus Christ given us in a relationship, a new covenant relationship with him? He's clothed us in righteousness, right? You see it? So he's given us his clothing so that we're clothed in righteousness through the forgiveness of Jesus. I can be clothed in his righteousness and I can have the robes. When we talk about royalty, we just sang about, that royalty is not just royalty of, of we're just trying to make ourselves feel better. It's a relationship with God through Christ that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that now we have a covenant relationship with God. No one, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And Jonathan says, I wanna give you my stars and bars, if you will. I wanna give you my military garb. And I want to just say, you're going to be the king. See, sacrifice comes naturally when you're motivated by love. Sacrifice comes naturally when you're motivated by love. Amy Carmichael said it like this. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving, right? You can give without loving. Oh, okay, I'll give, I'll go. But you can't love without giving. That's what love means, is sacrifice in that, that you're motivated by love. John chapter 15, verse 13. See if you can give the last word of this verse of scripture. No one, Jesus says, no one has greater love than this than the one who lays down his life for his friends, right? So he lays down his life, Jesus, for his friends, sacrifice of Christ. Now, let's think about what would be the ultimate sacrifice is the cross, but we also see sacrifice in our own lives and sacrifice leads into the next point I wanna give you, our second out of four of attributes of a godly friendship, of God honoring friendship. And the second one is loyalty. Say with me loyalty on the count of three. One, two, three. Loyalty. One more time. One, two, three. Loyalty. Awesome. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verse 42, this is just gonna be a couple pages to your right. Jonathan said to David, verse 42, 
chapter 20, go in the assurance of the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord when we said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me. That's a big time statement. And between my offspring and your offspring, we'll see that at the end with Mephibosheth, offspring and my offspring. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. You see them saying, between God, in the name of the Lord, between me and you, we're tight. We are loyal. Let me give you this statement. I would rather a boring, loyal friend than a fun, fickle friend. Wouldn't you? I'd rather a boring, loyal friend than a fun, fickle friend. Now, if I can have fun and loyal, I'll take that. That'd be great. That's all the better, right? Now, how do you know how, importantly loyal, how important loyalty is? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been betrayed? When you've been betrayed, you understand how important loyalty is. When someone's talked behind your back, you understand how important loyalty is. When somebody's ratted you out on something, you understand how important loyalty is. Loyalty is crucial. It shows the love and the connection together. It's saying, I got your back and you got my back. I don't know if any of you in the room like Ben Rector. I love Ben Rector. He's awesome, really great. I don't know him, but I like his music a lot. He has this song called Old Friends. It's a great song. You should listen to it. Here's what he says about one of his old friends. I would have his back tomorrow and he'd still fight anyone who tried to touch me. Isn't that great? Alan Jackson on his song, Older I Get, he says, the older I get, the fewer friends I have, but you don't need a lot when the ones that you got always have your back. Loyalty. Let me tell you this. Better to have in friendships four quarters than a hundred pennies. You'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Now, I know on social media, we all want a hundred thousand pennies, right? Better to have four quarters, an old, faithful, boring, even if it needs to be, loyal friend. And when you get into a new town, possibly, or a new chapter of life, that loyalty means more and more than anything. A poem said this, I went out to find a friend, could not find one there, went out to be a friend, and I found friends everywhere. So when we step forward with loyalty and sacrifice in our own hearts, we're being the friend that we want to have. Be the friend that you want to make. Be the person you want to marry. Be the person you'd like to employ. Be that person and then you'll be attracted to that kind of person. So four quarters is better than a hundred pennies when it comes to friendship. My wife and I, we have been married about 20, 24 years, going on 25. Uh, in August, it'll be 25 years. And I tell you, yeah, you can cheer for that. It's been awesome. That's great. It's been a wonderful 25 years. Um, so, or 24, I guess, and a half, whatever we're at. But she's about a five foot tall, small little lady. That's good, because I'm a small man, so it makes me look bigger, you know, so it works out. Um, they would say when our kids were growing, they'd say, your kids are really big for their age. And we'd say, no, we're really short for our age. That's what <laughs> the difference is. So Kelly, my wife, I asked her one time, talking about loyalty, I said, what if I got up on the platform and I was speaking and they began to throw tomatoes at me? What would you do? And she went, I'd get up on stage and I'd block them. And I was like, that's good. That's really good, right? That's loyalty is what that is. I don't care what the crowd says, I'm for you. And I said, oh, that'd be great because I'll hide behind you, you know, while it's happening. It'd be awesome. Loyalty is so, so crucial. Be loyal. 
Be loyal, be a person that is loyal. Do you know how loving the descriptions are of Christian friendships? Jonathan and David says, I loved you more than I love myself. Let me tell you a couple just other descriptions in the New Testament. You know that Christians are called in Romans 12, one body. We're one body as believers in Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, we're brothers and sisters. In Colossians chapter two, we're knitted together in love, loyalty, knitted together in love. Philippians two, we're comrades in arms together. Paul says of Onesimus in Philemon verse 12, he says that Onesimus is my very heart. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul compares his affection for the believers in Thessalonica. He says, I'm like a nursing mother caring for my children. I hope you hear loyalty and knitted together and something special about the Christian brotherhood and sisterhood that we have. In the new covenant of Jesus, we now can have a, a different type of covenant in our friendships that are there. I'll give you one other illustration. I had a friend that unfortunately made some bad decisions and lost his ministry. This is years and years ago, and I'd just become the pastor at our church in Houston, and I saw him, and I said, hey, I want you to sit with me. He was very influential in my life. I want you to sit with me. He said, man, no, you don't need me sitting with you. I'm gonna sit in the back. You don't need people associating me with you. And I said, this exact words, I said, hey, man, you're my friend. I want you sitting right next to me and my family. And if anybody has a problem with it, they can talk to the pastor after the service. I want you right there with me. He spent Christmas with us even in that time where his family just wasn't right yet. And he was at our house for Christmas. Loyalty through thick and thin. There's a million acquaintances, but there's few actual friendships. And those actual friendships, people stick with you and you stick with them. And I know that's hard sometimes to, to be betrayed, but just trust that the Lord can do something. Let me show you a video clip of loyalty. Two brothers in a triathlon of deep loyalty. Watch this clip. Now, Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow, and there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go, and Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my god, I cannot believe what we are seeing here. Matt, is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes, unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. 
and they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sports. Worrying scenes. All Let's round. give a clap for that. Is that awesome or what? Now think about that. His brother could have finished and then come back and got his other brother, couldn't he? But he stopped and he said, I'm going to come in third. As he loyalty, he pushed his brother across to become second. Here's how, you make, here's how you're a good friend. Jesus, others, you. You keep think, taking third. Keep taking third place. You could have won. You could have been second. You could have been this. But loyalty says, no, I'm going to be third and I'm going to help my brother across the line. And ladies, don't you know their mom was so proud, right? I mean, just so sweet. But to see him fall across that line, who really won that race? I think the character of that brother to go back and get his, to, to help his brother across, that was the loyalty that was there. So we have sacrifice and we have loyalty. Our third one is encouragement, encouragement. How are we a friend and what do we need from friends? Encouragement is the third one. So I want you to look in chapter 23, just one more page, 1 Samuel 23, Verse 14 and following, this is what it says. And David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and in the hill country of the wilderness of Zip and saw search for him every day, but God did not hand David over to him. Remember, Ben's been teaching you about Saul pursuing David and trying to kill David. Verse 15, David has, was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horish when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Verse 16, here's the key verse. Then Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David in Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel. He's given his kingship away. And I'll be your second in command. Do you hear the humility in that? Wow. Even my father Saul knows it's true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. He encouraged him in his faith. Okay, now, this is key. He didn't encourage him in his career. He didn't encourage him in how handsome David was. He didn't encourage him in what a great uh, heart player he was. He didn't encourage him on how he was the most likely to succeed. He encouraged him in his faith. What happened? He went from an, uh, an, uh, a kind of an exterior encouragement to an interior encouragement. When you begin to encourage somebody in their faith, you start getting to the soul is what happens. Cody Carnes, his song, Run to the Father. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. And when you encourage somebody's faith, how do you do it? Just what he did. Don't be afraid. All throughout the scriptures we hear, don't be afraid because there's so many things to fear. God will do this. God will take care of you. God will be faithful. You will not be the first person in all of history God is not faithful to. He's not gonna ruin his name and his record on messing up your life. 
He's going to take you through it. God will. God will save your soul. God will put the Holy Spirit in you. God will give you a spiritual gift. God will give you direction. God will give you joy. God will see you through the trial. God will make a way for you. God will do this, so don't be afraid. And Jonathan encourages his faith. That's so key to have your faith encouraged. So much anxiety, so much worry in our world. But here's what happens. Look at your anxiety and worry as a doorway to something deeper. How can that anxiety and fear and worry open up a doorway to something deeper so that Jonathan cracked open that doorway, said, I'm gonna encourage you, not just you're a great guy, David, not you're really strong, you're gonna beat Goliath, you beat Goliath, you're gonna beat the lions, you got all that. He opens up to something deeper and he encourages David in his faith. I don't know how it went, but it could have been, hey, David, I know you were the last of Jesse's sons. I know you were the most unlikely to be picked. I know you're planning on being a shepherd your whole life, and now you're gonna be a king, and my dad's running after you. So I want you to open up that doorway to something deeper, and I wanna get to that insecurity deep within you, David. Don't be afraid. God's got a plan for you. I know you, you've made mistakes along the way, but, but don't be afraid. Open it up. God will forgive you. And to get to that doorway of something deeper, not why do you feel like you feel or not what do you feel, why do you feel like you feel? And let that doorway of the faith, because only Jesus can touch your soul, right? Nobody else can. And instead of self-soothing on our phones, we get soul-soothing from our Bible. And we trust in God to do something in us that's so deep that my soul found a friend. Jonathan encouraged David's faith. Now here's something interesting. Many scholars think that Jonathan was 25 to 28 years older than David. We've always thought Jonathan and David were like two teenagers playing in the palace. By David, by Jonathan's military tunic and garb that I told you about in the beginning, by the battles he had already won, they think that there is a difference in their ages of about 25 to 28 years. So the older is encouraging the younger and pouring into their life, into his life in a great way. Here's how you encourage. Can I just give you two words on how to encourage? Be sincere and be specific. Be sincere, not false humility, not trying to get, I'm, I'm complimenting the fish for a compliment back to me. You look pretty, you know, now that's not what you're trying to do. It's sincere and it's specific. You rock is only gonna go so far. But when you say, wow, that was awesome when you did this, this, and this, I really saw that, that was incredible. When we were worshiping today and the drums just broke out, just solo into the drums and we were talking about the chains falling, that was an awesome moment. That was really great. Great job to them on doing that. And amazing, yeah, we can cheer for them. They did a super job. Very specific and very, just what is it you see in that person? And you know what'll happen? They'll go, oh, quit it, quit it, quit it, stop, right? Because we all need encouragement. It fills our soul in a great way. Sincere and specific encouragement wins the day. So here's your homework for today. Text somebody, call somebody, write somebody a note. Remember those? You used to write things and write somebody a note and send it to them and let them know, sincere and specific, how grateful you are for them on this Thanksgiving week. And it'll bless them and it'll bless you as well. Can I give you the needs that we have? Just a, another stat on how 
lonely we really are. Over half of Americans say that they feel lonely even when they're surrounded by other people. Maybe you came here today to church and you feel lonely and you just showed up. Hey, church is a place we want you to find friends here. You can go to the welcome to church table. You can go to the access room at the end of the, the service. We want you to find friends. Now, it's not gonna happen if you just show up once and sit in the back. You're gonna have to kind of jump out there. He who has friends, Proverbs, must first throw himself friendly. So it's gotta be the jump in there a bit and people welcome you a bit. But we want church to be a place you feel welcomed and feel loved and cared for in a great way. A little stat for you, another thing. In 2017 in Great Britain, Great Britain appointed a minister, not a religious minister in the government, a minister of loneliness because the epidemic was so high, they actually had to make it with the government that's there. Amazing to think about. But that encouragement, I'm telling you this for this reason, that encouragement to lonely people will be a doorway to something deeper in their heart and God will use you in their life to encourage them. And you never know how your encouragement's gonna be, what it's gonna do in somebody's life. Just wanna share my heart, my story with you just a little bit. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. I was doing all sorts of things I shouldn't be doing at 16 or 26 or 36 or 46, right? But to be in that moment, I, I met somebody and they told me about the Lord and then I met with their youth minister and I met a guy named Dennis and he led me to Christ, led me to Christ. I wanna show you a picture of me and Dennis when I was about 16, when I came to faith in Jesus at that time. That's Dennis. Dennis isn't famous. Dennis doesn't speak at conferences. Dennis doesn't have any, uh, you know, hit books or anything like that. There's nothing really uh, uh, amazing public about Dennis. He's just a faithful student minister in the suburbs of Houston. That's all he was to be able to do that. But he encouraged me in my faith, encouraged me in my faith. He was the one, I interned under him for three years. I interned under him and he was the one that said, I want you to speak to the student ministry that on Wednesday night. First time I'd ever spoken in front of a group in my life. And he said, I think you can do it. You do? Yeah, I do. He was the one with Breakaway, the ministry Ben referenced in the video. He said, go for it when you graduate. Just see what God does. Without Dennis, I don't know where I'd be. I met somebody at the first service. They came up to me and they said, we're actually from Houston. I said, how disappointing. You come all the way to DC and you hear a guy from Houston. They're like, yeah, we were kind of hoping it was gonna be Ben. I said, well... Probably a lot of people feel like that, but you know, I did the best I could. And so, uh, so they, they said that and they said, my pastor is a guy named Scott. And, and I said, I know Scott, I led Scott to the Lord. And they said, you led Scott to the Lord? I said, yes. Dennis led me to Christ. I led Scott to Christ. And then somebody was sitting in your church today that is a part of his church because Scott's now a pastor. Isn't that crazy? And then I found out from Donna that Scott invited Donna to do worship and Ben to speak. And that's where they met. All those things that just connect and that somehow comes from Dennis in that way. Isn't that weird and crazy to think about that? You never heard of Dennis Perry? Well, just a couple months ago, Dennis died. He died. And I'm telling you, I, I have not known Jesus Christ as my savior except for the last few months without Dennis. Dennis did my wedding ceremony with me and Kelly. I have only known these last few months. Dennis was one of those first phone calls for me of a loyal friend. And he passed away, I did his funeral. Dennis was actually a part of our church. I got to be Dennis's pastor, how cool is that? Let me show you the picture of the last time Dennis and I ever saw each other. I didn't know it would be the last time. Can you see the sickness in him? And Wes is the other guy in the picture and he and I were interns together. He's a faithful friend, longtime friend. And Wes was in town from Kansas City and we went to barbecue with, uh, eat barbecue and with Dennis and we sat there with Dennis. And that was the last time, I didn't know it, the last time I'd ever see Dennis. I said, let's take a selfie together. 
I'm so glad we did. We finished the barbecue and there was the tray and we moved the tray over and all the dirty dishes. And we just sat there for another 45 minutes. And here's what Dennis did. He said, guys, I want you to know how proud I am of you. I love you. I love your ministries. I love your wives. I love your kids. I love your families. I am so proud of the men you have become. And we sat there as adult men and received every bit of it from Dennis. And he got up and went to the restroom and I looked at Wes and I said, Wes, that was special. That was, that was like really special. And Dennis got back and when he got back, we just began to encourage him. Dennis didn't encourage because it was an event. That's just who he was. And we needed it as grown men in ministry. Abraham Lincoln, my second and final uh, presidential something or other in DC. There was a knock on the door of the White House when you could knock on the door of the White House at that time. And the staff said, don't try it today. Uh, and the staff said to Mr. Lincoln, there's an elderly woman outside that has something for you. And he said, well, tell her to come on in. She came in and she said, President Lincoln, I, I've heard that you like this kind of cookie and I baked it for you. And this is what Lincoln said in response. He said, you are the first person that has ever come to the White House not asking for something. You're the first person that's ever come not expecting me to do something, but rather bringing me a gift. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Leaders need encouragement too. Everybody's human. Chuck Swindoll says, remember loneliness stalks where the buck stops. So there he was with that encouragement. Encourage somebody today. You never know how God will use it. Like Jonathan was to David, like Barnabas was to Saul, like Dennis was to me. And I wanna encourage you today too. Last one, last attribute, and then we're done. Number four is kindness, kindness. That there's kindness that happens. Say that word with me. We've got to say this word a little bit more nowadays, don't we? One, two, three. Kindness. Awesome. I want you to think about Mephibosheth, okay? It's in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump to 11 just to save some time. Mephibosheth is crippled. Now, how did he become crippled? If you were to turn to 2 Samuel 4, 4, you would find that the nurse picked up Samuel and she took off, or not Samuel, Samuel's not involved in this, picked up Mephibosheth and took off running because Jonathan had died and she thought they were gonna be killed. She trips and falls and drops him when he's five years old and his feet are crippled from that point on. That's Mephibosheth, okay? And we're gonna see David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Before we get there, just say Mephibosheth. It's a fun word to say, right? Even with a mask, it'll be even better. You know, I mean, that's when it'll come out. It'll be great. Okay, so let's just count to three, Mephibosheth. One, two, three, Mephibosheth. One more time. One, two, three, Mephibosheth. Girls, as you're planning your children's name, just doodle Mephibosheth and see what last name you can get to fit with that one, okay? Um, so Mephibosheth is what's happening in verses one through three. I'm gonna stop us in verse one. Because I want to bring out a point. David asked, is there anyone remaining in the family from the family of Saul that I can, hard break, what should the rest of that sentence be? It should be historically, not Christianly, but historically. Is there anybody left in Saul's family I can kill? I don't want anybody 
to give me any competition for the throne. It should have gone to Jonathan, not me. So I'm gonna kill and it's all gonna be gone. We see that even in DC. One administration says no to the rest of the people in that administration. You may have lost your job or got a job because of that kind of thing. So in this, there's a hard break of I'm going to have this moment where there, I should kill these people. That's what historically should happen. Not godly wise, but historically. Watch how he finishes the sentence. Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember the vow that they made together? I told you on the loyalty vow. Then you get further along and you'll see further uh, that he says, I wanna show the kindness of God to him in verse three. Look at verse 11. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all that my lord king, the king commands. David's the king now. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Now, I want you to really feel that. Mephibosheth is actually, if you read the passage, says, I'm like a dead dog. What do you, what do you want? He's scared. He says, do not be afraid. I'm gonna give you back the land of your grandfather Saul. Do What? And I want to show you kindness and I want you to come and dine at the table with me. I remember fifth grade, I'd switch schools. My first day I walked into that lunchroom as a fifth grader scared. You ever been there? Who am I gonna sit with? And this one boy named Sidney invited me to sit with their table and he was nice to me. I still remember it today Sydney being nice to me in fifth grade to let me sit at the table. And Sydney, if you're here today for some reason, thank you very much. You've really changed my life and I'm glad you're in DC at this time. But who could you be kind to to invite to sit at your table? Who would you need to be sitting at their table? How can you be an encouragement? How can you be a welcomer? How can you be a friend that shows himself friendly first? What can be, can you hear the clump of the crutches coming with Meshibbeth to, to the table? Here comes Meshivateth and he's coming and he's clumping along and he's going along and he sits down at the king's table. Let me tell you this. We are Mephibosheth. That's who we are. We're wounded in our sin. We're wounded in our running. And Jesus Christ has said, I want you to sit at the king's table with me and I want you to feast upon all that I have here. And I want you to know that I love you and care for you. Jesus Christ sacrificed for you and me. Jesus Christ was loyal. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is an encouragement for the joy set before him. He endured the cross that we could be encouraged by that. And Jesus Christ is kind. In Romans, it says, your kindness leads us to repentance. Read the gospels and see how kind Jesus is. And when you see the kindness of God, what you'll say is, Lord, I wanna open my heart to a doorway to something deeper. I need you to do something in me, Jesus, where no man or woman can touch. I need your touch. My heart needs a friend and I need a friend that's closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend. Let me close with, with telling you this. Great, great old hymn. It's the hymn of what a friend we have in Jesus. 
What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a, friend, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we for, often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Are there trouble everywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I love this line. Can we find a friend so faithful who will share all our sorrows, who, who all our sorrows will share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So friends, brothers and sisters, heart of my heart, believers in Christ and those that are thinking about being a believer in Christ, I put before you the friendship of Jesus so that you could be a friend to somebody else in the same way. What if the phrase in DC changed from if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. What if it changed to if you want a friend in Washington, get a church. Get a church. Find some believers that'll come around you. Yeah, we need, but others need as well. And let's go forth in the friendship of Jesus as we are friends. We all need them as we're these kind of friends. Sacrifice, loyalty, encouragement, and kindness. We can name 100, 100 more, but those four will get us down the street a little bit further. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.